It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's not a great time to be a Russian general. In the first few months of the war, they were getting killed at a rate not seen since World War II. The armed forces of Ukraine killed the Russian Major General Andrei Sukhovetsky. He was shot down by a sniper on 28th February. Russian Major General Magomed Tushayev killed during an SBU Alpha Group out. Lieutenant General Oleg Sokov killed in a strike on Major General Oleg Mityev is the latest to have reportedly been killed. Russian Major General Andrei Borisovich Kolesnikov killed in the hostility. Lieutenant General Andrei Nikolaevich, he was allegedly killed in an airstrike. Russian Lieutenant General Yakov Vladimirovich. Ukrainian sources report Russian Major General Oleg Yurovich killed. And now, even more Russian generals seem to be in the firing line. But it's not just the Ukrainians who are gunning for them, it's Putin himself. Ever since the Wagner mutiny a month ago, the mercenaries who turned on Moscow have gone unpunished. Instead, some of Putin's most senior generals are disappearing fast. The Kremlin has refused to answer questions about the fate of one of the country's most senior military commanders. The general says he was relieved of duty because he is now telling the truth about what's really happening. There has been a lot of speculation over the past few days about his whereabouts. We haven't seen Valery Gerasimov either. So what's really going on in the upper echelons of the Russian military? Why is Putin turning on his own generals? And what does it all mean for the war in Ukraine? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, fired, interrogated, killed... Where are Putin's generals? When mercenaries from the Wagner Group marched on Moscow, people laid bets that they'd be dead by dusk. A month later, the mercenaries are fine. But a series of high-profile Russian generals have suddenly vanished. 
So what is going on? Whenever we want to understand what's happening inside the Kremlin, there's one man we always turn to. He's the author of a number of books about President Putin, and he's also a regular contributor to the Sunday Times. I'm Mark Galliotti. I head up a consultancy called Mayak Intelligence, and I'm also an honorary professor at University College London. Mark, we last spoke to you when Wagner had been marching towards Moscow and we thought there was a mutiny in the offing. Since then, there's been a rather remarkable meeting in the Kremlin between some of the key players of the day. Just talk us through it. Who was there? Well, first of all, it's worth noting that at the time, the Russians didn't admit it. It's only when it looked as if it was going to leak that it actually came out. But essentially, we had Putin who notoriously scarcely has meetings with people these days. But nonetheless, there he is in the Kremlin, sitting down with Yevgeny Prigozhin, the man who has just led this mutiny against him, and about 35 of his field commanders, the people who not only followed him on this mutiny, but also shot down a bunch of Russian planes and helicopters. So, you know, it is an unexpected, I think it's fair to say, sit down to say the least. It certainly sounds it. And do we know what happened? Do we know what they talked about? This was try to kind of hammer out some kind of understanding as to what happens after the mutiny. Because it's clear that Putin does not want to lose Wagner as a force in Ukraine, but also as a force mm. in Africa and elsewhere in the world. So really, it was an attempt by Putin to basically see what he could uh, convince them to do. And interestingly, he actually proposed that Wagner could continue to stay in the war in Ukraine, but under a different field commander. So Prigozhin would basically abandon it to one of his senior field commanders. According to Putin, a lot of the field commanders seem to be fine with this, but it's Prigozhin who stepped in and vetoed it, saying, no, 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 the boys are not going to go along with that. So Prigozhin, who led the mutiny, is completely free. He's wandering around Moscow. He's allowed into meetings in the Kremlin. And he's able to dictate the terms of a deal with Putin. He even has the power to exercise veto over Putin's proposals. For the Russian public watching that, I mean, how has that gone down? We see a lot of anger, particularly amongst the military, but also the, the cheerleaders of the military on, on social media, the so-called Z-patriots. Yeah. Because they say, look, what, you know, this, what, what the hell went on? We had a mutiny. We had our own boys being killed. And they're getting all kinds of perks. While actually, it seems to be the military that is currently bearing the brunt of the sort of paranoia investigations and inquisitions that follow. Which is so interesting. And, and you know, for Prigozhin, there really just seems to be no form of consequences. I mean, that he's, he's not in prison. He's still alive. Nothing has happened. Nothing has happened yet. I mean, I will <laughs> confess I would not necessarily be offering him life insurance. Putin is not the sort to forgive and forget. But nonetheless, he did make a deal with Prigozhin. If he moves against Prigozhin right now, his chances of being able to make any future deals with anyone else would be very limited. So I suspect that what we have is Prigozhin being given a, a window of opportunity. If he can continue to run things in Africa and elsewhere to Russia's advantage, well and good. If not, maybe in, I don't know, a year's time when the dust has settled and no one's really paying attention to him, his tea or his door handle come back to bite him. But Mark, as you said, while Prigozhin is free, 
there have been some consequences, weirdly, for people within the Russian military. Just talk us through what's been happening. Well, this is a fascinating thing, that although the mutineers have got off scot-free, we have a series of very senior military figures who have either been sacked or we don't know where the hell they are. And the assumption is they're currently sort of in some prison somewhere being interrogated in case they were in some ways involved with the mutiny. Mark, take us through the case of of the disappearing Russian generals. I suppose we ought to start, really, with the most prominent one. This is General Gerasimov, who is the head of the army and on the day of the mutiny was one of the people that Prigozhin was calling to be sacked. Just remind us a bit about General Gerasimov and tell us what's happened to him. Before the war, he was regarded as a pretty effective chief of the general staff, as you say, the the most senior military figure working for the defence minister. He had already been the longest serving chief of the general staff in post-Soviet times. However, when the invasion started, it became pretty clear very quickly that he was frankly not up to actually the job of, of running a war, particularly because he seems to have either actively been part of the planning of the invasion, or more likely, when Putin came up with this ludicrous notion that somehow Ukraine would collapse at the first push, Gerasimov, who should have known better, just kept quiet. And so no surprise that he has become, along with Defence Minister Shoigu, a real lightning rod for all kinds of criticisms of, of the war effort. But nonetheless, he hung on because he's loyal, and Putin these days values loyalty over competence. So his and Shoigu's scalps were the ones that Prigozhin was demanding from his mutiny. Mm. Prigozhin obviously is now quiet, but Gerasimov is too. I mean, he, he pretty much disappeared at the time of the mutiny. There is even some question whether or not he's actually in overall command of the operations in Ukraine. He's wow. still in place, but quite frankly, there's a sense that he, he's, he's best kept out of the limelight. Next up, General Sorovakin, and he was the man who was sort of seen as the most likely to replace General Gerasimov when it came to the moment to find a new head of the army. Uh, He was also the man who at one point everyone thought was going to come in and win the war for Russia. Tell us a, a bit more about him and what's happened to him now. Even more extraordinary case, um, General Sorovikin was really one of the absolute highest flying generals, almost literally. I mean, this is a man who he's currently in charge of the aerospace forces. And this was very much on a track to becoming chief of the general staff. A deeply unpleasant man, not just because of the tactics he's, he's willing to use, such as you know the, the city of Aleppo was, was pretty much levelled on his watch in Syria, mm. but also on a personal level. I mean, one of his subordinates shot himself in Surovikin's office after Surovikin had given him a particularly vicious dressing down. Wow. So it gives us a sense of, of the guy. Not a nice man, but a highly competent one. And when he was brought in as overall commander of the operations in Ukraine late last year, you know, he very quickly realised that actually, after the mauling the Russians had received in the first months of the war, what was needed was to dig in and essentially let the Ukrainians batter themselves fruitlessly against the defensive lines, which are currently proving actually quite effective in holding back the Ukrainian counteroffensive. They're still informally known as the Sorovikin lines. 
The thing was, this was militarily sensible, but politically unacceptable for Putin. It wasn't aggressive oh. enough. He wanted victories. And therefore, he stepped in. Surovikin was demoted. Gerasimov put in his place. And Gerasimov launched a winter offensive that was, as Surovikin knew it would be, disastrous. Mm. So he's seen his, his <laughs> rival essentially you know, ruin a lot of the good work that he'd done in Ukraine. By all accounts, Srovikin got on okay with Prigozhin, probably because they could both sit down over some vodka, agree on just how terrible Gerasimov was. I mean, there's claims that he may have known about the mutiny in advance. And so as a result, he has now been disappeared. The most senior fighting general in, in the Russian military and the head of the air forces, we're told he's on holiday but it's a strange holiday, which apparently none of his family were invited to. Oh, wow. Where, where do we think he's on holiday? Where do we think he's being held? <laughs> it's either some distant military base or else it's actually Lefortova prison, which is the Federal Security Services sort of special prison in Moscow. He's still under investigation. And look, even if he's been cleared, given the heavy handedness of the Russian security apparatus, there's a part of me is wondering if if we're actually waiting for the bruises to heal or similar before Surovikin returns to the fold. Because wow. it would be an extraordinary act of self-harm for the Russians to actually dismiss or imprison one of their most effective generals. But of course, we can't rule out, given amidst all the other acts of self-harm Putin has been doing for Russia, one more. And Mark, it's a really fascinating thought. If he has been held, if he has been tortured or you know questioned in a pretty aggressive way, will he want to come back and be loyal? I mean, how does that work? Do people just go back to their jobs as they were? I think people end up feeling that they have no real alternative. And sometimes it's just simply because the alternatives are rather dangerous. Sometimes it's out of genuine patriotism. I mean, one, one can look back to the Second World War, where you had this extraordinary case that Stalin had purged his own military. Many of his best generals had been sent to the Gulag labor camps. And then when the Nazis invaded, there was a desperate need for these able officers. So you have people like General Rokossovsky, Literally, he was in a gulag camp. He had multiple broken ribs from where he'd been beaten and so forth. And then one day he summoned to the camp commander's office, handed his old uniform, which, as you can imagine, was sort of hung like a tent on him, given after the uh, yeah. emaciation of gulag time, and just simply told, your country needs you. And within a few hours, he was a colonel in, in command of a unit and would rise up to become your general. But it's not just about Surovikin, it's about the whole officer corps, the distaste they must feel about this internal purging and inquisition yeah. is really quite palpable. And he does have a lot of supporters, both within the military, but also sort of outside. I mean, is there the possibility that there'll be a backlash if he isn't seen again soon? Well, at the moment, if nothing else, I mean, how do the aerospace forces work? Because not only is Sorovikin still disappeared, but uh, his his deputy also. So, you know, this can't last forever. But yes, that, I think the backlash is this. Russians in general, but particularly the Russians who are supportive of the war, the military, they are desperate and hungry for heroes and for victories. And Surovikin, if nothing else, is seen as someone who could provide them with, with victories. So if he absolutely clearly is not going to return, that it almost begins to become patriotic to be anti-Putin. Nobody saw that coming. And Mark, 
That also seems to be the case with another general, um, Major General Popoff. He may not have come across people's radar before, but he seems to be in quite a fix at the moment. Yes, I, th- I think the, the Soviet and now Russian military tradition has been pretty brutal and hierarchical. But nonetheless, you get a new generation of officers who actually care about their soldiers to a degree, who realise, if nothing else, that it just makes sense to look after your soldiers, keep their morale high and such like. Popov was one such. I mean, his own call sign was Spartacus, and he refers to his soldiers as his gladiators. You know, there's that wow. sense of someone actually who, who, who cares, who gives a damn about his men. Um, he's commander of the 58th Army, which is the one that is currently holding the important Zaporizhia front to the south of Ukraine. His, his troops had been sort of fighting hard in terms of resisting the, the Ukrainian counteroffensive, and he petitioned for the permission to be able to rotate them. In other words, to take people back from the front line, to give them a chance to just you know, rest and recuperate and rotate other forces in. It's I mean, that common reasonable. sense. Absolutely. And it's what actually a Western army would, would be doing all the time. Permission was refused. So he issued a rather more sort of serious criticism, which also noted a whole bunch of other issues where he felt that uh, his army wasn't getting the support it wanted. And most crucially, and remember, the permission was refused. And that would have been by General Gerasimov. He essentially threatened to take this over Gerasimov's head, which would have meant either to the defense minister or Putin himself. Now, that was absolutely unacceptable. At this point, he's suspended. Ah. So he actually reaches out to some ex-soldiers who are parliamentarians, and a voice message that he sent gets leaked to the public. And in it, he absolutely rips into the high command. I called a spade a spade. I drew attention to the most important tragedy of modern warfare. This is the lack of counter-battery combat the absence of artillery reconnaissance stations, and the mass deaths and injuries of our brothers from enemy artillery. I also raised a number of other problems and expressed it all at the highest level, frankly and extremely harshly. And he actually says, look, the Ukrainians tried to break my army and failed, but instead our own commander, in other words, Gerasimov, stabs us in the back. The servicemen of the armed forces of Ukraine could not break through our army from the front. Our senior commander hit us from the rear, treacherously and vilely decapitating the army at the most difficult and tense moment. There's no surprise this means that he, you know, he ends up being sacked. It's a brutal world if you're a Russian general. Coming up, which other senior military figures are missing in action? And are more profound cracks beginning to show in the Kremlin? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, so far, we've heard about three key Russian generals who are in some form of trouble. There's the head of the army, who's still in post but rarely seen, Then there's the man everyone thought would replace him, the commander-in-chief of the aerospace forces, who disappeared a month ago and is rumoured to be in prison. And finally, one of the most popular generals on the battlefield, who's now been sacked. But that's not the end of the list. Just talk us through the others who appear to be missing in action. Solovikin's deputy, Colonel General Yudin, has disappeared and we assume is also being interrogated. So there's quite a sort of a gap at the top of the Air Force. We have Lieutenant General Vladimir Alexeyev, who's the deputy head of military intelligence, who was probably one of the key figures in handling Wagner. Mm. Um, but again, disappeared at just the time when actually military intelligence needs to have all hands on deck. There's a whole bunch of other generals, including Major General Vladimir Silverstov, who's a real kind of gung-ho, hard-charging uh, paratrooper. And again, many of these are the, precisely the people who were the next generation high flyers. They are dangerous because they're popular, because they're willing to speak out on issues that they think are important. They're exactly the generals that Russia needs for this war. So, I mean, in this respect, as in so many other ways, Putin is proving to be Ukraine's secret weapon. His paranoia is ensuring that actually he's stripping the military of the, the, the generals they need and leaving it to people who just keep their heads down and do what they're told. I mean, that is the most surprising part of this, that all these generals are disappearing while there's a war on. I mean, why do we think it's happening? Is it, as you said, paranoia on Putin's part? I think it's, it's Putin's paranoia and it's also Gerasimov's desperation. I think precisely because he's aware of the contempt in which he's held and the degree to which there are others who would be happy to take his job. I think Gerasimov is using this as an opportunity to dispose of potential rivals. 
So that's the military and the defence ministry looking a little bit shaky. What about the intelligence services? Are they about to have a change of personnel? Yes, but not quite frankly for the reason that ought to be, which is the incompetence that has been shown. (laughs) The head of the FSB, Alexander Bortnikov, he's 71, and by all accounts, he's actually very ill. And likewise, the head of the Foreign Intelligence Service, roughly speaking, Russia's MI6, Sergei Narishkin, he's 68. He probably was already angling for just some kind of nice, cushy, retirement-ish kind of job. So, you know, we can expect some leadership changes, which is going to mean a lot of disruption, because what happens when a new leader comes in is they purge the senior command of anyone who is opposed to them. They bring in their own cronies and such like. So there's, there's probably going to be change there, but it's very unlikely that change is going to mean greater effectiveness. Right. But in that case, it does sound like there's a lot of uncertainty across the board in the military intelligence apparatus. Is any of this starting to play out on the battlefield in the war in Ukraine? Not at the moment, but the point is that morale can be a very, very fragile beast. Yeah. And if, let's say, the Ukrainians do manage to break through the defensive lines, then it's hard to tell, precisely because the officer corps as a whole is feeling disenchanted, uncertain and the like. Ironically, precisely because the military is engaged in the war, they're not able to do anything. Very much as a parallel with what actually happened in World War I. Even at the time when there were revolutions happening behind the scenes, the military were not particularly involved much of the time. Until, of course, there was an armistice. And that's actually when a lot of units just disappeared as people just deserted and other units started uh, returning to basically try and impose their will on the political leadership. So, you know, we're talking about a threat that's going to be down the line, but it's definitely going to be there. It sounds like morale is fragile. I mean, how bad is this for Putin? Putin's authority and legitimacy is clearly dwindling and this mutiny has definitely sort of kicked another hole in that. And I think this is what's going to increasingly emboldened critics of of Putin's. That sense that it's not suicidal to go up against the Tsar. Again, no one's really planning it yet. Things are going to have to get worse before anyone really seriously takes on that chance. But what perhaps a couple of months ago seemed impossible, now is looking, you know, perhaps within the realms of possibility. And Mark... I've got to ask, you know, we do get a raft of stories about the Kremlin being in crisis. Is this wishful thinking or do you think something quite significant is happening here? Yeah, I'm going to give the very disappointing answer of, well, a bit of both. (laughs) There is a huge amount of wishful thinking. I think particularly because as it becomes more and more clear, this is a war that is going to drag on. I think people do grasp at straws and think, oh, there could be this deus ex machina moment in which, you know, Putin dies or he's toppled by a coup or whatever, and suddenly things can quickly and easily get better. So we do really have to be wary of of that kind of uh, sort of fantasy, magical thinking. Yeah. But on the other hand, his regime is progressively less able to deal with systemic shocks, the unpredictable. In this current situation, we know there will be more shocks coming down the line. It's impossible to say when or what they're going to be. Will it be sort of an economic collapse at home, a collapse of the front lines in Ukraine, serious illness of Putin's, whatever. But each time there is one of these systemic crises, his regime is less able to deal with it. 
So I think this is part of the end game, the end of Putinism. The trouble is, I have no idea, and no one has if they're honest, and of the actual timeline. Are we talking a month? Are we talking a year? Are we talking five years? It's somewhere in that span. That's not a very helpful prediction to give. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, historian, journalist, author, and Russia expert, Mark Galliotti. You can find all of Mark's articles for The Sunday Times at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Olivia Case. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.